putting this much time and effort into it changes these students' lives and makes them interested in this stuff. Um, and I know when I go into the school, like when I've been going into the school um, these past nine weeks to talk about this project with students, they're like, oh, do you remember, you know, this or this, or like when we launched this rocket or whatever, like it just, it sticks in their minds. And that's, I don't know, thinking back on it, it was so much work, but they, I don't know, they had a great time and they'll remember it and hopefully do something cool with it someday. And you're very welcome along to the SESI staff room. You're not going to want to miss this one. We have Kate Kogi along with us. What did we talk about? Well, Geneticon, Smithsonian, messy learning, grab and go. Like, seriously, you're not going to want to miss this. I, um, my science teaching actually started as an undergrad um, when I was at James Madison University um, in Virginia. Um, way back when I um, was asked to uh, help out as a teaching assistant with um, a biotech course um, within the school. And it was just a fun way to sort of uh, engage with the undergraduate students um, at the time. Um, and basically what I did was I prepared labs. Occasionally I would lead some lessons on whatever the, uh, whatever the topic was of the day. Um, but it was really fun. Um, teaching wasn't my, uh, wasn't my major. I, my major was in um, integrated science and technology. Um, so my goal was to go into some sort of laboratory work after that, which I did. Um, I went straight into clinical lab work with a hospital in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and I did that for four years. Um, and what I found it to be was very rewarding, but also not super conducive to being creative, which I love to do. Um, can't really be creative in hospital lab work. So um, I just found myself at this place where I knew that this wasn't what I really wanted to do long-term. Um, I talked to a few folks. I actually started volunteering at a Montessori school nearby just to um, get a little bit of exposure, but um, I found out pretty quickly that I wanted to get my license in teaching, um, particularly in science, since that was my background. And so got my licensure um, over the course of a couple years and just jumped right into science teaching after that. I uh, started off in Williamsburg, Virginia, just for a year, and then eventually moved back to the Charlottesville area um, and taught out there for about seven years, all science the entire time. Um, but the last three years um, in Admiral County, uh, doing more uh, sort of interdisciplinary type work. So not just science, like I was the science lead for my school, but really trying to find ways to connect science into sort of a broader range of uh, global issues. And what, what, what does that look like? Ooh, <laughs> it's, gosh, it was challenging at first. Um, the school I was, um, the school I was hired into, um, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like because it was a new concept, um, but we were a brand new team of content, uh, content-based teachers who were tasked with coming up with a new model. Um, and so I added the science into things, but we really tried to sort of go about this and looking at like sort of a big picture issue or um, a general theme and sort of adding our little bits and pieces throughout to sort of see how we could think about the content that we needed to reach throughout the course of the year and how that could tie into um, a grander issue. So for my first, let's see, for my first year when we were trying things out, I was looking at, uh, I was teaching, the, co the content I had to cover was mostly physical sciences, so sort of intro to physics and chemistry. And we applied, let's see, we did, we uh, did a Mars project. So we were trying to not only create a rocket like the students built a rocket and a launch system it was very it was very exciting and fun and you know all the physics components of that but we also started to think about the social aspects of going to mars so governance and you know how do how does one live on mars with a group of people in a tight space um we also looked at um some of the math and the uh sort of you know, how do we angle this launch properly? How do we apply uh, percentages to sort of this habitation zone? Um, 
and then we applied um, ELA um, English language arts to it as well by creating marketing uh, components to this too. So students had this opportunity to take, you know, something like a Mars mission, which was a really fascinating topic and um, turn it into something that was fully interdisciplinary and really just kind of, you know, gave them a sense that you can participate in this type of work and not necessarily have to be an astronomer or a scientist any interest level can uh, it's funny you should um I, I i love that idea of every every aspect of um there was a project done here a while back um and one of there was a launch a balloon launch and there was a the device put into the balloon and the balloon was launched and the device was going to go up and take temperatures and then when the balloon burst there was velocity was going to be gauged and all that and i think that the kids at uh, it was a k-12 school and um the kids uh, put a little teddy bear in and the teddy bear went up and there was pictures and it was amazing but one of the jobs which frankly I thought was the coolest thing ever, was one of the jobs was to ring the local airport, which is uh, uh, international airport, and actually get permission. So to say, look, today is our launch date. Yeah. And that was their job. So you had this seven-year-old go, they had their script and they were on the phone, and can I speak to the tower? I thought that, if you ask me all of uh, everything that I come, everything that comes with the launch of a balloon or a launch of a satellite, I never ever think of the the contacting the little the contact in the tower. So I love mm -hmm. that. I love the connecting all um, all the aspects to it. Yeah. Sure. Um, so using technology in teaching, uh, how how does that fit into to where you are now so you go into teaching your your science teacher does is the tech using technology and teaching has that always been is that's always something you've been comfortable doing or is that is it is it or does it, is that even on your radar because some of us don't even think about using technology and teaching i think in the first year you know you're just so terrified because you don't know you feel like you don't know what you're doing at all and so you just kind of grind through it to you know get to the end um but then after that when you feel a little more comfortable with the material with working with students with um being able to enter like not only learn how to use a piece of technology or learn how to integrate it into the classroom but do it effectively um then it re feels really good i feel like um what helped me especially in the early stages was having a really good instructional coach help me in that process um especially when i was so new because there's a lot of i mean there's an abundance of really great resources out there but it can be really you can get lost in the weeds a bit with it and so um really finding somebody who went out of their way to take the time either during my planning or outside of school to sort of teach me how to use these different pieces of technology and um sort of work them into whatever it is that we're trying to cover um so these days i mean in recent years and especially now um i work primarily now with teachers who work with students but um really thinking of ways where we can get um not just like have a cool piece of technology because there's really cool technology out there but tech that um can get us real data like data that we can work with um what i love doing and actually we just did this it's funny that you mentioned calling um calling air traffic control because i we had to do that last week um we did uh we have a bunch of estes rockets which are the like rocket kits that you can build so you put a d engine in it and let them go we sent them to um teachers all across the country, we did a coordinated launch at the same time, where I, we set up a zoom camera and all the teachers had their SDs rockets all set up. And with um, these pocket labs in them, um, do you all work with pocket labs at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some, so, something similar. Yeah. Yeah. So um, each of the teachers had a pocket lab in their SDs rocket. And so what the pocket lab was collecting was altitude data. So um, we didn't quite know what we were going to get out of this, but we wanted to sort of think about how we have teachers all across the country who are going to do this coordinated launch and, you know, how might the altitude data change based on where they are and what factors might play a role in that. It's not necessarily that, it, like, you know, accuracy is another issue too, but um, we, but the great thing was is that in real time we were able to sort of get all of that data um, and 
teachers were able to also take on that lunch with some of their students too. But um, it was really wonderful to sort of talk through that together with teachers. Um, I guess that's where I'm coming from because when you mentioned stuff like the the pocket lab, the school the, the school in question that, that I mentioned there, they 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 coded everything themselves. So that was the whole thing. So they had a Raspberry Pi and they put all the sensors on it and it, it was amazing. Now, the one bit of feedback I got and considering this podcast is Computers and Education Society of Ireland, but the one bit of feedback I got back was from teachers. Oh, we'd love to do that, but I just don't have the skill set. So, so you find a good mentor and learn from them. Yeah, another thing too that I learned both in, because we built the rockets together too, we had another Zoom session where we got together and we were all in our homes. Um, you know, a few of us had like glasses of wine or whatever, and just all sitting with all of our stuff in front of us, um, all the SD's rocket kits, and we we're just all together. I was like, let's put this together at the same time. So like, if you get stuck <laughs> on something, we're all here. And, and so doing that was really helpful because we were able to work in the moment, but also um, with that and with the pocket lab instructions, because yeah, like you can give someone a pocket lab and be like, here, here's a cool thing. Like, isn't it cool? And you know, it doesn't really do anything until they actually use it. And so, but actually what they found to be most helpful outside of just the one-on-one -on -one time um, through Zoom, um, and we'll come together this summer too, which is exciting to actually be in person together. But um, I made these websites for both making the Estes rockets and also um, how to collect launch data effectively with Pocket Lab. And it was just step-by-step -step pictures with not only the picture of whatever the instruction was from the website, but also a picture of me actually doing it, the thing with my hands. Um, and that was really, really like they, that was the one thing they said, like having these step-by-step -step instructions where I can just follow, follow along and not need to like, everything is very explicitly written just so I can know exactly what I'm doing and how to collect this data. Um, and that was, yeah, it took a lot of work, honestly, to do that, but gosh, to- What does, what does coordinating something like that, uh, I said this book, look like, and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but what, how, do, how do you even get your head around coordinating something like that? I have a great mentor who helps me. <laughs> She's fabulous. Um, she works at the Air and Space Museum. Um, Shannon, uh, she um, has been running this program for a couple of years now. She started it. Um, herself, um, but learning from her, um, because working with teachers is um, very different than working with students who mm. do see every, no, most every day. Um, and, you know, it just takes frequent communication, really planning in advance. We use um, a really great scheduling system called Asana, which um, I don't know if it's in Ireland, but it's a free scheduling thing service that we use. And we basically, so Shannon's been doing this for years and she knows like the specific things you need to do in order to, you know, get everyone on the same page. And so we really, we get together months in advance and we just like plan it out of like, okay, you'll need to like get people to sign this and you'll need the addresses by this date. And we just do that months in advance and we come back to it every month so that we know, you know, if there's anything missing. And so for stuff like, you know, these professional development opportunities where, you know, there's so much coordinating involved, we already started that months ago. And so um, it really, really helps. Also just having a great community of teachers, um, teachers who are in this program, um, apply to be in this program. They are very dedicated to doing this work and, um, you know, adding to their practice and really providing authentic learning experiences for their students. So they want to be here and they, you know, they're really eager to learn more. That's um, what effectively what you're doing. Um, we were trying to figure out how does one one do this. Well, when lockdown happened for us a while back, um, two year two and a half years ago now, uh, myself and my business partner do STEM uh, workshops for schools. And how do you do a STEM workshop for a school? Which you put boxes in a car and you travel to the school. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you work with the teachers. So you help the teachers and then uh, they, you enable the teachers to, to work with the students. But once lockdown happened like that, so we're, we're sitting on a Zoom call going, how, what, like, what? Like, how can we get over this? 
And Chris came up with the frankly ingenious idea. Um, and he said, first he said, this isn't my idea, but I reckon what we do is we get the kit, we ship the kit to the schools, mm -hmm. and then we facilitate through Zoom. Mm -hmm. I'm delighted to be hearing from the other side of the pond where this you've taken it to the next level. Like if you're organizing stuff months in advance, setting milestones and goals and where you need to be, this is a this this is a huge deal. Well, it's it's certainly it's gotten better. And I think that, you know, the program that we work with is typically two months in this, like the majority of the program, and it still is, is two months in the summer. Teachers, we send teachers out to DC. Um, uh, to just be fully immersed in, you know, the museum, um, the curators, the um, exhibitions, the sort of collaborative, really like in-person um, mm. time to really just gel and come together. Um, but having, honestly, from learning from this virtual experience, you know, in between the summers, because teachers come for two years, for two summers, but that in-between time, you know, is still so vital and checking in and especially with you know how difficult teaching has been for the past two years in particular um having that camaraderie has been just really great and having it mm. using the virtual setting to do that has been really helpful um so it's a it's it's i don't know my job my how i how i live in a day-to-day -day and do my job has changed dramatically <laughs> since this but in some ways you know being able to like connect with two guys in Ireland right now on a on a weekday is just like oh yeah a couple of years ago I'd be like what no it sounds bananas but um <laughs> so here we are <laughs> how do you think and that brings me nicely onto like I want I really want to be talking about the project itself uh the details of the project working in k-12 Albemarle Lab School the Albert I Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship with the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. Like if you had that in a business card, it'd be this big. It's huge, yeah. So, <laughs> so, but before we get to any of that, how do you think your teaching is going to change once the pandemic, once all the restrictions are lifted? Do, or do you think there's going to be a change there? Now, that's a question I ask every guest we've had on. And there's no right or wrong answer. I have my own feelings about it, but how 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 is your teaching going to change, or is it going to change? I think coming at this um, from from a perspective of you know we've been through something, and really just being a lot gentler with um, much more gentle with sort of approaching new concepts um, and really trying to have school be that place where you find safety and welcoming and support. Um, not that I didn't necessarily do that before, but I think now in particular, um, I see so much, when I see students, I've been able to go back and see um, my students in the classroom have been working on a project with them um, back in Charlottesville. Um, and really just the joy that was in their faces, like just to like be in person and to like, I hadn't seen many of them in person for a really long time, but um, really the important part of being in a school is to make those relationships. Um, I mean, that just totally goes above everything that, you know, the content aspects of it. So really trying to come up with that sense of community, building it even stronger um, within that space, I think is so critical. Um, because when you get that, then you can really dive into some of the more, I don't know, nitty gritty of, uh, you know, whatever we're trying to teach. I'm curious to see how this, the virtual world, the virtual environment, the virtual learning space, how that's going to progress moving forward. Because another one of the questions is how do you see, what do you think the classroom will look like in 10 years? And do you feel that the virtual platform has made, a, has affected, will affect will have had affected it yes i mean the thing about the virtual environment is it's sort of really just made even more clear to me the divide between sort of the have and have nots within you know society but also just within the k-12 environment i had students who i never saw in the virtual environment it just they had too many other things going on at home and like just if they were home they needed to 
do something else like help out with siblings or pick food or work um and joining in on school was really secondary um in that dynamic and so in some ways like i you know i see how like this the virtual classroom really emphasized that in many ways and it really just you know we you know we see how for some students you know the virtual environment was really beneficial and you know i think if it were me going through that as you know a middle schooler um during that time i probably would have loved it but um mm. i know for many that's not the case um and so i think that you know what i love about the virtual environment and one thing that i've been able to do with students is connect them like they're they're at school right now but um being able to connect them with people from around the world who they otherwise wouldn't be able to be in contact with we i mean this past couple months i've been able to introduce them to folks within the smithsonian who are doing amazing work all over the globe and i never really would have thought of that prior to this i just would have been like oh they can email or we can watch a video about them but I had students in Admiral County who were looking at ArcGIS data along with the scientists and researchers who made that data and put it together. And they were going through, um, you know, images and sort of rating them. They're looking at oyster reefs in the Chesapeake Bay. But um, being able to do that with, you know, with these people in person is just, it's such a memorable experience. And so what I hope is, is that while in the beginning, I think in the pandemic, I the beginning of the pandemic, it really showcased, you know, what needed to be done. But there is so much that technology can add to the classroom environment. So many cool new connections that we can have. So many ways where we can all kind of come together and, I don't know, build that tech literacy that students are like, they catch on quick. And like, so watching a student work in a Google Doc or work in like, I don't know, work in any space. I've done Minecraft-based projects with students before. I'm terrible at Minecraft. I don't know what I'm doing, but my students are great at it. And so giving them the option is like, hey, if you can show me what you're talking about here in this Minecraft world that you've created, great. Like, that's all I need. Um, and it just, yeah, there's... And that's part of the inclusivity. That's that's the thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there, there's, there are teachers out there that why did you become a teacher? I became a teacher to catch the person like I was in school. That's mm -hmm. one answer, you know, I, I can see. Um, and that's that's the whole inclusivity. And I, I feel that the virtual the virtual learning space has created that. And I feel sure. we need to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And our ability to teach over a virtual environment, I think that's key. I think we need to remove the terminologies. We need to forget about Zoom, docs whatever the kids don't use those they just go oh yeah i open the thing and I <laughs> type the thing and how did you not get that the k-12 albemarle lab school and the albert einstein distinguished educator fellowship with the smithsonian national air and space museum what Sure, we can talk about, um, so uh, the school, it's a community lab school. It's in um, Admiral County Schools um, in Virginia. It's a, I worked in the middle school, so grades six through eight. Um, so uh, students were about 11 to 14 and then, but our school is middle and high. So um, basically wide range of um, ages all together in one building. Um, really, it's very, the focus has been just sort of driving student agencies. So, you know, we really try to create, so it's all project-based. So rather than, you know, you have your science class, your math class, your language arts class, like chunking it into parts of the day, we really try to take a more holistic approach to um, that environment. And so really thinking about um, how people really learn, like nobody in the real world, like approaches things like in that mindset. And so really trying to come up with ways where students can take on these interdisciplinary projects together um in a space where they can experiment and take risks um and so i ew, it was such a challenge to do that sort of work because you know if you teach subject by subject there's materials out there you like you know what's next in the sequence of events but with brand new projects it's just like okay what are we gonna do what's what's the thing that comes to mind and so um it was it's so challenging but so fun i mean we i mean 
I've had so such a great time. Like we I did when we were virtual, we did a uh, we called it the great biologist baking show where students created their own um, sourdough starter. Um, at, you know, we they came to the school and actually we had to like get all of these materials out to the students. They, they came to the school where we dropped off, you know, sourdough starter at their house out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so from home, they had all their lab equipment and we'd be on Zoom and we'd be like feeding the starter, talking about it, sort of talking about the chemical changes, but also, you know, the artistic elements of baking. So our art teacher actually came in, he did bread art with barns. And so we went through like different ways where you could like cut you know, cut your loaf or, um, you know, braid it to, um, you know, to get different qualities of it. Um, and it's actually, it was, it was so fun. And I love the Great British Baking Show. And so we actually made episodes for the Great Biologist Baking Show talking about sort of the, all of the different processes that go into bread. Um, and not just sourdough, but just bread in general, sort of like the cultural aspects, the, um, you know, the artistic elements, like every single piece. Um, and it was so much fun to work on this with my teaching team because when we were sort of coming up with, you know, the components of this, we were just in a room, like sitting in a circle, like just throwing ideas out there, getting excited and mapping it out. And that's how the projects work there is sort of, you know, before we even start it, we come together, you know, weeks in advance and we, you know, just sit and we just talk about like, <laughs> what's the thing you want to do? And yeah. just going into it and it's it must be amazing to work in an environment like that to be able to sit down with a group of people and just go hey what are we going to do next it's amazing oh gosh and the students love it too because you know it's like nothing they've seen before um they really get to engage with whatever mm -hmm. it is they're doing and i really tried with many of the projects to engage um the admiral county community or the charlottesville community um within the work. So students got to, like, the school itself is in downtown Charlottesville. Um, it's a small city, but um, you can walk to things. And so mm -hmm. we are walking distance to so many great places. And so we did, we did a scale model of the solar system on Charlottesville's downtown mall one year um, where the students actually, we talked about the planets in the solar system and then um, we measured it out, you know, where would each planet go? Um, and this is right before the holidays and the students each designed a structure, a thing um, to represent their planet that they were working on. Um, and it didn't have to necessarily be like a, you know, a sphere. It could be mm -hmm. like, you know, the Roman God that it's about, or it could be, um, I remember the earth, um, the earth representation was like a potted plant that they had designed to, you know, represent life. Um, cool. But the coolest thing was like, they were also, the Charlottesville's downtown mall, um, you know, it's about a mile, it's a little less than a mile. So we had to measure it out and we had to mark each point. But we had all the students out in this giant marketplace, basically, with people out holiday shopping um, and, they would like they'd walk up to the kids they're out there with this like pedestal they had made with their planet on it and the students got to talk about their planet with people so like i encourage them like have people ask like you know come up with questions like get people interested in your planet and why they should know about it and they made little qr codes and um the students actually we they wrote and walked into many of the businesses um downtown and their planets got to stay on the downtown mall throughout the whole holiday season. So um, wow. they, the, it's sort of like when you mentioned um, having a student call the air traffic control, like I had students go into these businesses and they were just like, hey, I wanna put Saturn in your movie theater, would that be okay? <laughs> and they were, everyone was into it. We had every single, we had all, all the planets plus Pluto and Ceres um, and the sun. Um, on Charlottesville's downtown mall for two weeks um, and people could scan the QR codes and learn more about them. And the students are really proud of that work, but um, I'm just coming up with that and the coordination of, you know, having kids on the, on this giant walking mall um, for an afternoon. That, uh, yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to sidestep that, the logistics <laughs> of. It was, yeah. Ready. 
There I want to be at that meeting where you approach <laughs> them and say, we're going to take a bunch of students and we're going to bring them down the town. <laughs> we had a lot of parents out, thank goodness. So um, okay. a lot of parents came out. Um, the, the news came out too, which was honestly kind of helpful too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was great. The students really, they, they had so much fun. It was just, it's great to get them out there. And it's great to, it was great to be a part of a team where you know, people encouraged that type of stuff. Like I'm prior to this school, I'm just so used to like being the teacher that the other teachers would get mad at because we were doing loud stuff. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's just nice to be on a team where it's just like a weird, you know, new, like, I don't know, just fun stuff is just encouraged. Like fun is like, fun is really important mm -hmm. at the school, which, I don't know. No one talks about that, but fun is fun should be like near the top of like what we try to achieve in the learning. Yeah, I, I look. Find a job you love. You'll never work a day in your life. I mean, that's that's in a nutshell. That's that's really it. Um, students don't remember what you taught them, but they remember how you made them feel. And if you can, if you can bring that fun aspect to learning, then boom, you're in. Like. Um, I'm going to move on to the Albert Einstein. I want to go back to the whole Smithsonian thing just to, because my inner nerd is going to talk about the Smithsonian. <laughs> but the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship um, with the Smithsonian. Uh, what, what, what's the program about? And explain your fellowship. Sure. Um, so the Einstein Fellowship, um, the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship um, is actually- Yeah, it has to, you have to give it the full title. You have to. <laughs> We're all Einstein fellows. That's what we call ourselves. Um, makes it easier. But um, we um, so the program itself is through the um, U.S. Department of Energy. Um, our sponsor is actually um, the Oak Ridge Institute, which is out of Tennessee. Um, but um, it's a federal fellowship. Um, and so I am. So it's right this year. It's eighteen STEM educators who are placed in different federal agencies um, in the DC area. So I had to move to um, the DC area as part of this. Um, so I'm the one fellow working with the Smithsonian this year at the National Air and Space Museum. So um, I work primarily on education programming for the museum. Um, so mostly work with teachers. So that uh, summer program I was talking about, um, or year long, but primarily in the summer teachers coming out here for the Teacher Innovator Institute is a big project I'm on, but I also lead um, professional development programming on aerospace related content. So this year I've led virtual PD on, uh, let's see, passenger flight, uh, weather and data, and how you satellites to sort of understand what's happening in our atmosphere. And then I just did a program on aircraft carriers, um, just this past month. Um, and uh, so that was a really great opportunity. I don't know, it's, it's working with teachers, they can sign in from anywhere and learn how to apply some of our content, some of our objects within the museum into the classroom, um, project-based too. So taking a lot of that work I did with the lab school in Avonmore and sort of applying it to the work here by creating projects that teachers can take on anywhere uh, related to that content. What's what's the leadership structure like? What's what are the aims and objectives? What's the outcome? Do you go into a project like that, tenure, my year, or whatever? I'll have this, this, and this done. Are you given a free uh, or free reign? Um, it's different for each fellow. For me, um, I knew going into it what all of the tasks I'm working on are sort of ongoing projects, with the exception of. Um, the live PD I did um, on those three aerospace topics. Um, but really all of these pro programs are ongoing. So it's just sort of, you know, it's only a year. A year is not a lot of time to figure out what I'm doing and mm. do it effectively. Um, so uh, it truly, it's just sort of building on what's been there and getting it ready for whoever comes after me. Um, so we already, we have, um, a new um, sort of fellow coming in um, after my time here is done, but really it's just sort of, you know, getting her ready for, you know, what this job is like, and also just really gearing up to make our summer program. So the teachers who we have coming in this year um, to DC haven't like, 
some, some of these teachers were selected, you know, over two years ago to come to DC and haven't had a chance to yet. So really trying to find ways to make this a really awesome, meaningful experience. Um, and how yeah. do, how, we, we've spoken about the platform, we've spoken about doing it virtually, um, the approach, the hands-on approach. How do we, how do we get involved over this side of the, this side of the water? How, oh. how do Irish teachers get involved? We want some of that action. You can. I mean, so we have, gosh, I mean, the Air and Space Museum, we have tons of online, like we have online resources, but we also, we have educators who, I mean, love talking with other educators. Um, there's a lot of great um, professional development opportunities, like TII, the program I'm working on, it's only for US citizens, but um, we have, I mean, there's a whole, we have so many um, virtual, uh, experiences too. We have um, that online PD that I was talking about. We'll start that up again um, in the fall. And that's a really great way to sort of learn about, you know, resources we have, um, objects we have, the history of um, whatever the theme is. Um, so really diving into that, it's a fun way to sort of, like with aircraft carriers, I knew nothing about aircraft carriers before leading an entire two-hour <laughs> presentation on it. Um, but afterwards, it was really you know, there's so much cool STEM stuff. Yeah, that's all I knew. That's that they carry aircraft. Um, <laughs> there's so much cool stuff that goes into aircraft carriers, though. Like, I've been boring my friends because it's been my only conversation when we've been going out. It's just like, did you know that it's like, you know, balloons on boats in the Civil War, and then like some guy just like threw on a football helmet and covered his body in bicycle tire tubes and you know just rolled himself off you know it's just like there's so many stories in there and it's rich and it's engaging and um I just that storytelling component you can take on from anywhere and it's so fabulous um but the Smithsonian as a whole we have a lot of great um online uh learning opportunities too um, so I mean your 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 passion for the project and your enthusiasm is is addictive because I, I want to sign up now where do I sign up do you know that's 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 really that's that's the bottom line and I know well people will be asking me oh, but but that's fine and it sounds amazing but where do I go and it's Smithsonian like that's you start there yeah, I mean, in the Smithsonian, like, there's tons of resources there, but we also, we have affiliate organizations all over the place, too, that do some really great work. Um, there's, I mean, I've been working on, for a side project, I'm really interested in conservation and sustainability and bringing those sort of programs into the classroom, and so I've been working with um, Smithsonian's Conservation Biology Institute, um, which is out in like farming land out in uh, rural Virginia. Um, and a lot of people don't even know that that exists, but they're doing, I mean, they're literally, you know, repopulating species of animals that are, that were extinct in the wild. And so, I mean, just the work that they're doing there is just incredible, but like, and then hearing from them and then um, learning about, you know, their, gosh, like, there's a group in Panama that is doing a bunch of um, conservation-based work too. Um, but there's just, there's people working for Smithsonian all over the place who are doing amazing things. Um, yeah, so there's just do too you, much. Do you wonder, is this, is this too much? I mean, that was going to be my next question. When you have something as big as like the Smith, something as big of a brand, let's just say the brand the Smithsonian, because when you say Smithsonian to me, I straight away, my mind explodes because I just can't understand. I mm -hmm. want to learn it all. I want to know everything that goes on in it. But is it a case that in something that big that it's very hard to get the information out because there's so much happening? Do you feel that that community tends to become almost siloed? that's where the inclusion comes in. We need more inclusivity. No, I, I totally agree with you. And a lot of people hear the name Smithsonian, it's like, ooh, ah, like fancy. Um, but really- Yeah, those were my exact words, <laughs> ooh, ah, fancy. <laughs> no, but the truth is, is that in order to be an effective educational resource, you really need to sort of, you know, look beyond that and see people who are really trying to connect with the educational community because they really are um my 
tactic for reaching out to people who I want to talk to, um, either as a teacher, or as you know, my current year in this fellowship is I just, you know, I, I reach out to them, I find their email, I look it up, it might take a little more work than uh, for some than others, but I find them, and I find a way to connect with them, and I find a good connection point. But um, really, I think I like to think of I'd like to think of the work I do and the people I work with as people who want to educate. They want to educate. They don't want to be like, this is all a part of this grander educational community and truly like seeing, you know, the educational mission of, um, of the Smithsonian, the Air and Space Museum, like, you know, the goal is to reach as many people as possible to not be, you know, this, you know, not be this thing that you know we need to like strive to like figure yeah. out but more of like this inclusive more of this you know we all can play a role um we all can engage with you know these scientists and researchers who are doing this amazing work uh we can't really move on without sort of talking about the saturday series yeah. um and the science makey makey uh, talk to me about the saturday series that's the first thing by the way that caught my eye when i was reading through the bio i, went, <laughs> I want to find out more about that oh saturday series my baby um it i started that when i was a graduate student it was a way as part of my uh what was the course it was basically like how to community connections um type course um when i was getting my graduate degree and um when I started at community lab school, um, our administrative team was like, we need a, we need a way to, you know, get people to know about us, the work we do. We did a, we had two maker spaces in the school it was, you know, project-based hands-on, um, just really just, you know, messy learning. It was great. And so we really wanted to share, you know, some of the really creative approaches we had with, uh, with other students in the area. And so it started then as just a way to sort of, you know, showcase the school, sort of showcase, you know, some of the cool, uh, you know, resources we had, how you could, you know, apply technology. So I used, I used Makey Makey for one, we used uh, Chibitronics, uh, circuit sticker things. I did a toy hacking um, workshop with students where we, you know, took broken toys and ripped them apart and then put them back together to make something new. Um, so we did a lot of, you know, just, you know, approaches to the makerspace, how to, you know, use certain tools, you know, how we could apply this to other things you're learning about in school. And this was with um, a fourth and fifth grade students at the time. Um, and after the first year, um, I was contacted by um, uh, my friend Lauren, who works with um, UD, University of Virginia's Environmental Sciences Program. Um, and she was looking for ways to do sort of some community outreach within um, the area. And so for the next year, we actually structured it around environmental science. So we had programs on glaciers and deep sea creatures and really trying to integrate um, sort of the hands-on components like the maker, like using our makerspace um, and getting these students introduced to our makerspace um, and, you know, thinking of ways to um, how to approach these really interesting concepts um, mm -hmm. from, you know, a different lens. Doing that, um, I mean, we did that for a little bit and then of course COVID happened and um, we had to really restructure. And so- um, Is that something you're gonna, you're, you're gonna bring back? Uh, yes, I hope to. Um, so when we, so for the beginning, so at the end of 2021, um, no, end of 2020, uh, Lauren and I decided that we, we've been hearing from a lot of teachers and students saying that, um, you know, they missed the program, they missed, you know, doing this hands-on learning and that, you know, they really would love to see it come back. And so mm. we did a little, we got some grant funding. I applied to a few grants within the area. Um, for enough funding for, I think it was 50 students um, is what we got. So enough, you know, because what we were going to do is we we're going to make it a grab and go type situation. So we'd have, we got these little tote bags that were made that had like the logo on it. And then like they'd bring the tote bags every once a month to come get their supplies and the breakfast. Um, every student who registered got free breakfast as, as did their siblings. But um, 
we did that for 50 students. We, you know, got the money raised. We, you know, started putting together some concept, like some themes for our lessons and stuff. Uh, she had graduate students and undergraduate students who uh, were willing to help. And so we did all that. And in the past, we, you know, like we would sometimes maybe get 30 people to register for our workshop. So we were like 50s, it's fine. And we had, we put um, a link to it on Twitter. Um, for, set, for Saturday series, you know, round three, and we had over 200 people register wow. in 24 hours. Um, and so we kind of panicked, we turned off registrations and we're like, okay, what do we do? Because <laughs> we have so many people who are interested and um, want to take part. And so we decided to raise some money um, and we did a GoFundMe that, you know, generated a lot of, um, generated a lot of funding for our program. We had some private donors who were willing to um, donate to the cause. We also got some corporate uh, sponsors to help out with supplies. Costco and Lowe's in particular gave us tons of stuff to work with, um, which is so helpful. So we were able to have all, I don't know, I think by the end of it, we had nearly 250 kids registered for our series. It was six workshops. Um, and just all of the materials, food for any kid in the family. Um, they just drive up, pick it up. And um, we had lots of volunteers and it was, it was fabulous. We loved it. It was really, it was so much work, but um, it was really great to see. We got to communicate with students via Zoom and see their projects that they made. Um, Lauren and I both made um, online lessons. So we recorded some. We had um, some of her graduate students who were fluent in Spanish take our lessons and translate them to Spanish so that um, more students could take part um, along with their families. Um, it was, it was a lot, but it was so much fun. And so, um, and it really, in a time when, I mean, in early 2021, I mean, we were still virtual, like classes weren't in session, a lot of stuff was online. And so being able to provide something like this where students could make something with their families um, and learn about, I mean. I think that's, I think that's amazing. I think the project itself it sounds amazing. Um, I, I'd love to map something similar over here. Um, I, I think that'd be, I think that'd be very cool. That's our hope is to, um, we're gonna, we're gonna go for some uh, NSF funding uh, for next year, National Science Foundation, so that we can um, not only continue this program for what we're doing, but also create um, sort of a guide for other educators who want to take mm -hmm. on something similar in their communities. Because there's one very nice project that, that was being done, and uh, frankly, we don't hear enough about it. Um, there was a clean air, um, a clean air project, but the way it was, the way the clean air awareness was put together was by a makerspace in Dublin, uh, Tog and Jeffrey Rowe, and basically, in a nutshell, they 3D printed cases, houses. They mm -hmm. took Raspberry Pis, they put the Raspberry Pi into the housing, and then they put it up in different areas around Dublin and then they fed that information to a central database. Now, wouldn't it be great to do that on a national level in the primary schools and the K-12 schools over here mm -hmm. where the students get to build this, the students get to put this up and now they're learning from something they built themselves. They're seeing the data because a lot of the time the, it, the, the learning for building is there the idea behind it is there, but what are we feeding? How, what information are we getting back? And sometimes that can be lost, but when they see the data coming back and they see the graphs, oh, well, actually, um, I, I think that, that, that makes, uh, that, that'll make a big difference. Um, Kate, I could talk to you for the next uh, four and a half hours, but uh, I, I don't have four and a half hours um, <laughs> to, to talk to you. Is there anything you're doing? Is there any projects you want to talk about, you want to mention? Uh, well, I just wrapped up. So um, when I left to come to the DC area uh, from Charlottesville, um, I, I knew I was gonna, like, I, I don't get to teach students that much this year. I'm actually going into the museum this weekend to work on a, uh, on a camp for um, 
It's an all girls camp um, related to aviation, which I'm really excited about. But outside of that, I've had no opportunities to really teach kids. And so um, for the past nine weeks, I've been working with my school back in Admiral County on um, a program we called the Ophthalmologist Project, which um, was a program I've been talking with some folks within uh, Smithsonian's Earth Optimism Initiative. And basically the concept is really thinking at, um, you know, our changing climate, thinking of, uh, you know, environmental issues and, uh, you know, what we can do about it, really coming at it from a point of optimism rather than fear. And so thinking of ways, like thinking of things that are working, that's kind of what this initiative does is, you know, it's not all Pollyanna, but it's like really sort of highlighting, you know, the great work that's being done and how, you know, that can give us hope for our future. And so um, I really love the initiative because as somebody who works on conservation-based work with students a lot, um, I know that it can be scary. <laughs> and so um, to talk about, you know, just our future and the climate. And so um, really coming up with, you know, things that work, um, giving students an opportunity to see that if you can apply what you, you know, what's working in conservation or sustainability, we can really have a positive impact. And so um, the Ophthalmologist Project was that. And so the students got to meet and work with researchers and scientists who are doing animal conservation practices throughout the Smithsonian um, in the different research facilities that they have. And think about how, um, you know, how this work can impact their future, the future of these species. And um, yeah, that, you know, it's important to care. Um, and so we just wrapped that up um, this week. Um, they got to do lots of great things. They got to have camera traps set up outside their houses and track um, species that live right in their backyard, which was super fun. We actually got a bobcat on camera, which I didn't think we would, but we did. Um, but um, really giving them that opportunity to um, not only work with the tools, but see how their learning can really make an impact was so great. So um, that just wrapped up. Um, I'm gonna take a lot of that work and try to turn it into something that uh, the Conservation Biology Institute and their initiatives can use down the road since I'm not with this fellowship forever. Well, I think the best place to wrap it will be right there. Kate Kogi, I look forward to your TED Talk. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ceci Staff Room. We really appreciate it. Uh, oh. You're the busiest person I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, thank you for saying that. Um, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, but it's, it's all great work. I love being busy and um, doing, I don't know, being a part of the educational community here. So thank you for having me. Thank you.